Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. And we are joined by Richard Blaze. You know him from Top Chef. You know him from his quaff. Uh, you might very well know him if you're in Southern California from Ember and Rye, his new restaurant in Carlsbad, California. You will know him from a new podcast, Food Courts, uh, starting next year. And Richard, we're thrilled to have you as always. Good to be back. It's been way too long. Uh, you know, when you don't get a call back in a couple of years, you always are a little concerned that you have upset someone, but I'm, I'm happy to be here now. This is ridiculous, Kevin. The fact that Richard is saying we didn't want him back and that we had banned him from the show for the last two years. I feel like we've given you a shout out every single episode since <laughs> you've been on that you have been our favorite guest. So uh, enough of that blasphemy. Blasphemy. Yes. <laughs> oh, very smart. Actually, that's what is food? Food court sounds like a mall. I think you should go with Blaze for me. Uh, you know what? That's that is my wife's uh, Twitter handle. And let's food court. We got to get you guys on it because it's two people who basically come in and debate over 
things that are very serious, like uh, hot dogs versus hamburgers, mustard versus ketchup, uh, noodles versus rice, which was a Gregory Gourdet and Melissa King episode that we did. Uh, so lo lots of fun. And then I am the judge, jury, uh, and host of that show, and I get to make all those decisions. Lots of fun. So you're not adjudicating or, or, or your verdict isn't your personal feelings about where you personally side. It's how well they presented their arguments. That is correct, because of, right. of course, I go in with some of my own strong opinions. And, and many times I am swayed to the other side in, uh, during the episode. No one really prefers Manhattan clam chowder. Nobody. I mean, listen, I'm not wearing my judge uh, robe right now. So I would say I, I don't disagree with you. How about okay, that? Yeah. I mean, but I think it's one of the worst manufactured food court arguments ever is that anyone actually prefers Manhattan clam chowder. Yeah, that's the argument. It's not even like New England versus Manhattan. It's like, can we find anyone that prefers Manhattan? I agree. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the same, um, we had a fun episode this week. We're thrilled to get your um, – to, to, to reconnect. And um, this is an interesting season. Uh, first of all, how would you just kind of having been on set – how would you distinguish this season from the previous 17? What was in terms of adjustments, not just the COVID stuff, which I think is relatively obvious, but just in terms of where is the show at this moment in time over the trajectory of its like two decade career? Like, like where, like what are the defining, what is the defining essence of the show right now, 18 seasons in? Mm, I mean, I think that, you know, you're, you're seeing all of its iconic glory, right? Like, um, you know, you, you are, you're sports guys. So like you're, you're, you're now sort of in Yankee stadium looking in, you know, the monuments in center field. And, and in this season, yeah. some of the monuments are sitting at judges table, you know? So, uh, I, I think that's, you know, with, with the, and not just because of the COVID, like you mentioned, but because you have some of my friends and colleagues and, and the alumni panel, I think that's what really sets this season up different, not just the bubble, not just the fact that we had to you know, fight really hard just to, you know, produce a season, but you, you get all of these, you know, top chef heroes and villains. Uh, I'm, I'm using myself as the villain here uh, in, 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 in the table, on the table. Yeah. Cause you're, you're, you've, you've come back, you've wanna, been on the show as a contestant and then you came back for all stars and won that. Um, and then you've been doing some judging. Um, but this is, this is every meal. Like it seems like you're there every meal and that, that sounds like, you know, when people talk about dream jobs, I kind of think being a judge on Top Chef is a dream job because it's it's fun and you get to eat a shit ton of good food. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to it does not suck. I mean, it, it's easy to uh, not only that in this season, you know, because of the moment we were in. Right. Like you're also getting to hang out with like people you truly admire and friends and you're becoming friends. And I think, you know, as you're watching it as a viewer, I hope that you're sort of seeing that camaraderie you know become more real each and every episode because we are in that bubble and and even just the, the, the debate that's happening on the show now you have five six people plus tom padma and gail every week that is sort of adding into this you know the the whole uh the whole judging philosophy it's it's, it's i think it's a tougher season for the competitors because of that no, it, it is so – it is totally detectable, right? Like it used to be, especially in the early seasons, like, hey, we're in this city. We need to assemble a judge's table. Let's grab a chef from this part of town, a chef from this tradition. Um, this person's local. Let's gather them. And it's not that there's no like chemistry at the dinner table, but there's no chemistry at the dinner table. And what's <laughs> happened over 18 seasons is that 
like you guys now are, have been in this sort of extended family for 20 years. So like you, it's now a table as a viewer where it's like, Oh, I really, really like to be at that table. That's, that's like, Oh, that's dinner with Barack Obama and Joan Didion. And like, you know, the people you want to have dinner with. And there is definitely that, that, that quality now to, to the judges table, which is, it just looks like a, like a, a dude is licking a plate, right? You have to be really comfortable to be at a table and to be, ha- you have to have a really fun time at a table to be totally non unselfconscious about licking a plate in front of other people. So yeah, I totally agree with you. That's been really fun. It's just to have all of you guys, the show has now produced this generation, several generations. So it's not just, Oh, these three regulars and whoever happens to be in town and available uh, to sit at a table. It's, it's, it is just sort of a further extension of kind of the show's inner circle. Yeah, and then the more comfortable we get with each other, we we already were going into the season, the more it becomes like your family's holiday table, right? Right. And you know your aunt and uncle are going to get into it if someone brings this up or, you know, obviously all within food here, but like it 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 got it gets hot sometimes um with this sort of setup because the guest judge as you mentioned they're also, you know, they're popping in, maybe it's one episode um, and it, it's a new thing to them. And it takes a lot of guts to sit up there on the judge's table and then argue with Tom Colicchio and Padma about something where, yeah. where now you're like, okay, no, I'm licking this plate. Uh, I'm ready to argue with, uh, you know, my mentor, my hero, you know, the main hosts of this show, because now we're comfortable together. Right, let's do some, let's do some hindsight analysis. That's really the fun of this episode of our thing, which is just like, yeah, let's dish. I mean, the, it's a classic quick fire, right? Which is product placement. But actually, there's some great sense because camp. I mean, look, cream of mushroom soup is is sort of the is is, is the is the ultimate American hack um, for about 17 different sort of uh, good housekeeping dishes. And now these folks have to be really intelligent with it. So, yeah, I, um, how do you approach like a, a Campbell soup? sort of quick fire if you're them like what 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 are the do's and don'ts where are the sand traps in a campbell's soup quick fire mm, i mean the, the 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 sand trap is just sort of you know adding something to the soup right i think and i'm without having been on set for the quick fire i'm not exactly sure what happened uh the magic is when you sort of can reinterpret the the you know whatever in the can uh texturally or uh, make it something totally unique. So in uh, with in full disclosure, I have done some work with Campbell's before. I have been in okay. Campbell's headquarters before. Brilliant place. I mean, you have some truly like world-class chefs that work for these companies. Uh, and just to also be clear, I'm not on the Campbell's payroll right now. <laughs> but <Okay. laughs> uh, when you take like, uh, you know, something that I did in their kitchen was you take, you know, cream of chicken soup, which is like the ultimate sort of like umami flavor. And I just took it right out of the can cold and spread it on some toast. And like, that sounds probably disgusting to so many people listening to this, but it's no. like, it's like looking at the, what's in the can and not just throwing it on the stove, not just doing what the directions tell you to do. And it was yeah. great. It's like a pate. It's like, you know, um, it's like a riette on a piece of toast. So that's the exciting part about this challenge. When you realize that there's something magic in that, in that can, in that box, whatever it is. That should be a challenge. It's just like fancy toast, but it's actually just right. raw soup on from Campbell from straight out of the can. Yeah. Um, I don't work for for Campbell Soup either, but I, I was just re- you know I was remembering where like you know I think I think a, a pop critic once asked you know Warhol 
you know, why he did the Campbell soup. And he's like, I like soup. <laughs> like the guy just liked Campbell. I mean, the, one of the great pop artists of, of the 20th century, he just dude liked Campbell's soup. And so he created what was ultimately one of the great art- artistic uh, piece of iconography in, in, in history. So um, yeah, it, it was very fun too, because Chris won this. I am very happy that Chris won. Uh, and you made note of it. Um, you made note of it, Richard, because he had just, delivered clunkers in, in the previous episodes and i've had a sneaking suspicion he's the answer to the question who is the best chef who is underperformed in this competition um but he does it with a grill i mean what i love is that like he won it with the grilled cheese panzanella salad with t- tomato soup vinaigrette right like he probably selects the easiest concept what do you want with soup grilled cheese one person figure that out of, out of 13 or 12 and and he was the one yeah, I mean, really, really smart without having tasted it. You know, it's just what I said, like he makes the soup into a vinaigrette, right? So he's, he's totally changing. It's not a soup. Now I'm going to use this as a vinaigrette. And he connects it to like the nostalgia and food people want to eat, right? Like that always works when you can hit those bells and like when you just like go right to the heart of the dish or the product. Uh, so really, really smart. Plus, can we just take yeah. a moment just as a fan here, like, Chris has got a great voice. Like you got to get Chris yeah. on a podcast. You got to get Chris to do some reads for you. He's just got like that, like late night DJ voice. It's just mm-hmm. amazing. Tom, it he is Lawrence, it's Lawrence Tanter um, at Staples mm. Center. That is the voice yeah, that Chris has. The Lakers so, PA. Mm-hmm. He 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 comes out with a bang here uh, after a clunker uh, from the last episode. Uh, he he did um, the the Haitian dish. And then comes in hot with the with the grilled cheese. Gabe and Sarah finishing the top three. Shouts to Sarah because as soon as they mentioned that they were doing a Campbell's Soup um, competition quick fire, I immediately thought of my mom's stroganoff because she used to do like the cream of mushroom stroganoff, like straight out of the can, throw some ground beef in a skillet, and then and that's it, right? wasn't very inventive, but I was like, ooh, I wonder if someone's going to do a stroganoff. And here's Sarah who comes in and just nails it. Um, and I, th- I don't know, was there yogurt? Maybe, I mean, is it yogurt on this one? I don't know. She, she tends no, to do the yogurt thing. Homemade spetzla was, was sort of the, was yeah. the, was the, was the baller move there, which is I'm going to make spetzla in 30 minutes, which the is. smoke. Yeah. She did a smoked stroganoff with spatzel. Right. So, uh, yeah. uh, so then we got Gabe in the top three. Uh, we'll get to him in a second here. Um, Shoda. Shoda did a chawamushi that just did not did not congeal, did not work, and uh, it kind of preceded, which was a, a really difficult episode with him. But uh, I want to I want to bring in this factoid, Richard. We we do a lot of analytics on this show. We break down the Top Chef show not just as the aesthetics and the strategy we want to bring in some numbers to see if like hey some of the decisions by magical elves the production company are they actually uh you know showing their hand a little bit with how they construct the show and last night on the sh- on the episode uh they did the little the, the the phone call home richard like at the outset the beginning of the episode they did a phone call home which I always thought portended a little bit of a, a, a an elimination about to happen. Later in the episode, you get the emotions tugging at your heartstrings. Oh, I haven't seen my family in a while. Oh, my wife is is sacrificing, or my my husband, my boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is, what they're doing at home. But no, Richard, according to TopChefStats.com, 
There have been 55 phone calls home in Top Chef history, and only eight of those phone calls preceded an elimination. Fifteen of those phone calls ended with a victory at the elimination challenge. Mm. So the phone call at the beginning. Wait, did, you, did you track this? This is, this is, this is Top Chef Stats. This is our friend at Top Chef Stats. Top, topchefstats.com, um, Lynn at topchefstats.com. Oh, bless you, Lynn. Every phone call that happened on Top Chef <laughs> and then tracked what happened later in that episode because I think she had the hypothesis, which I did, which is, uh-oh, Gabe's going home today because he did the phone call home. And actually the flip is true, is that more often you see that that person being uh, winning the judge's table, not getting eliminated. So that was fascinating to me. Richard – I know you were a judge on this episode, but do you have any uh, aspirations to be a producer or to edit one of these episodes? Mm. Because uh, I know you're a man of many talents. You're 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 Draymond Green out there. You've got you can do a whole lot on the basketball floor. Do you want to do like editing a Top Chef episode or being a magical elf? First of all, like uh, yes, thank you for the inspiration. Like, of course, I want to. I, I would like to then, you know. Yeah, I'd like to edit, sort of direct an episode. That would be amazing. You know, I think, uh, thank you for giving me something else to chase up the hill here. Let me send an email. I won't get a response, but yeah, I would love to do it. But I'm more, I'm more just like, I'm a numbers guy too. And like, thank you. Thank you for bringing like, like, you know, one day you're watching a baseball game. You're like, when did we start, you know, looking at exit velocity or like whatever happened in like this, this thing could be, this needs to be in the top chef world. Like, I want to see that stat like roll up when the phone call home is happening, yes. sort of like VH1 video, pop-up video. Let's do, let's do it. More yes. numbers, more metrics, please. I love it. Um, and, and, and one of the things also as an addendum to that, of the 55 phone calls home, Lynn found out that it does predict something, which is 46 of those 55 phone calls ended up with the, the chef going to the judge's table. So – they're not just giving you the phone call and then saying like, all right, we're done with that storyline. We're bringing it back and we're building into the judges table one way or the other. Uh, you're going to see that person at the, at the end. Kevin, did you feel the same way? I know Gabe isn't on your fantasy team. He's on my team, but um, did you feel like, uh, Hey, phone call home. He's got his, his daughter, his kids, there's his three kids are watching top chef at home. They love top chef. And I was just getting a little worried. I was like, Oh no, like they're doing a little bio on Gabe. Like this, this feels like this is, this is ominous. It's one of those things where even though I'm, I'm knee deep in top chef, this is what we do. This is what I, what I love. I watch it with a partner who's only a casual fan, um, but has watched many other competition reality shows. And and like Eric, the minute that phone call was over, Eric turned to me. He's like, oh, Gabe's going to win tonight. And I was like, no shit. Oh. Okay. And so this is one of those cases where I know too much that I'm so deep into figuring out whether or not you can truly reduce mushroom soup to a reasonable sauce <clears throat> or, or whatever that like the guy sitting next to me who's never operated as factual in his life, but just can look at Gabe <laughs> and say like, yeah, that dude's going to win tonight. And, and he was right. Of course. Did you have a phone call home <clears throat> on, on top chef? Yeah, well, I was going to say, like, you know, the, the stats are great, but then, you know, the behind the scenes is that, like, you know, 90% of the contestants probably made a phone call home that week, you know? So, like, <laughs> so, like, right. they, they, they have the arsenal to sort of pop in with. We, there should be a spinoff that's just Top Chef phone calls home because there's, you know, uh, you know months of footage of people just calling home. Um, 
have I ever made the phone call home? Was that was that the original question? Did, well, like the yeah. did uh, were in an yeah. episode, did it air? Yeah, I, th- I mean, most likely, I'm sure, I'm sure it did. Yeah, I mean, uh, and you know, and then it's sort of one of those things you make the phone call, and then if it ends up, you know, being a part of the storyline, uh, you know, maybe maybe it slides in there. Uh, but I will say this. You know, you're sort of, you know, you kind of request to make the phone call home most of the time, right? Uh, so you're like, hey, I really need to reach out to my family. I, I need to reach out to my significant other, whatever it is. And then you sort of like, you know, granted the permission to make that call. I would say, and my wife is within earshot of me right here, I didn't really want to be connected to the real world. Like I needed to be locked into the game. Like I didn't want to, you know, grab my cell phone at halftime, so to speak, and you know, see what was going on back home. I, I needed to be locked in into the into the bubble as a competitor so that I didn't let those things interfere with me. Right. This is the social media harsh. blackout LeBron does every 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 playoff. Does he? Well, Zero Dark well, 30 23. Yeah. 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 LeBron I mean, won't I, go on social media during the playoffs. And it, it turns out it does pretty well for him. I yeah, that works. Like I've I but also by the way, i my name's just never ever been mentioned with LeBron in the same sentence or two. So like I'm feeling pretty good about today. Um, so the elimination is an interesting one is uh, you must work with fruit. We are not going to furnish you, but make a savory dish. And by the way, like the thing that would have freaked me out is no shallots. Like, cause I was thinking, okay, you do some like fruity onion, marmalade kind of things. And uh-uh. like the, the, the challenge is you will pick this fruit. Um, you will suffer uh, shock from your bee stings and you will create a dish that is entirely savory, but is you know, with no vegetables and, and all fruit. Um, so, all right. So what are, Richard, there seems to me these kind of contradictions of, of top chef theory. On one hand, it's cook your food, cook your food, cook your food. You got to cook your food, stay true to yourself. On the other hand, generally speaking, I think most eliminations occur because the person didn't fundamentally understand the limitations of the challenge. Right. They didn't appreciate that, you know, you didn't have the infrastructure in that non kitchen to pull off that particular technique or you didn't understand that what the judges wanted. This was an X challenge and you didn't highlight X. So I always feel like there's this tension in the show where everyone is told to cook their food. But when they cook their food, irrespective of the parameters of the challenge, they get deemed. And so like that balance is a real thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, t- t- to me, the key is always trying to like really, really focus on what the challenge is and then find whatever is within your skill set or arsenal to make your food the challenge, right? Like, like that's that's the whole the whole game. The whole game is listening to the, the, the criteria of the challenge and then saying, hmm, do I already have something in my bag that sort of fits and or something that I can okay. adapt to it? Um, like. To me, that's that's when it works. Like, and then the the problem is you have to commit really, really early. Like when when you when you start conceptualizing this, sometimes you only have a couple minutes, depending on the challenge. Sometimes you might have overnight, but like when the clock starts, you can't have you have to have the plan A, B, and C, and you can't just be trying to figure it out on the fly. And and sometimes just you know you, you can't come up with the idea, and you are kind of in an improv setting the whole the whole way through, and you and you can see it in the dish when you're tasting it as judge. Okay, yeah, so there, this was. There were tw- yeah, go ahead, Tom. I was just gonna say there was there was a beautiful backdrop, mountain in the back. It was a windy day. You're going into that episode, and your hair isn't flying off your head. So, was that a strategic move? Did you look at the weather report that day and think I'm not gonna have my my uh, my hair sitting on the top of my head today? Hello, listener. Guess who's back? 
It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Um, you know, I, I, very, very soon uh, after that first time I walked out, in that first quick fire, um, uh, I think I was sort of wrangled. I think, I, I think they, you know, <laughs> I, I got, you know, basically they were like, we got to put two guys on this guy right here. We got to double team Blaze's hair because we, if you leave him alone, it's just, he can't contain him. I could not be, the hair could not be contained. So a uh, shout out to hair, makeup and wardrobe, which had to uh, you wrestle with uh, my hair, you know, each and every day. But yes, it was a little bit more conservative, let's say uh, for this episode. Oh. Yeah, it, and and the first dish you get out was was Gabe's, and I I've always wondered this is how often and maybe Lynn can do this. The first dish you guys try is the winning dish, and it was the um, the the uh, the dates with the um, no, it was with it, the it was the it was a grilled chicken pork, and I had a ton of questions about this uh, for yeah. you, Richard. It's chicken pork with an orchard an orchard jus inspired by mole like richard so first of all it looks delicious you made the point that hey fruit with gravy sounds weird and it's great what did he mean when he said the plum is the protein because that's what he as he's building this like orchard jew like that is like that yeah. that is what he's saying to us is and i didn't understand what that meant i mean clearly the results were amazing but like that was sure that that was the the mvp move this, this yeah episode. i mean he's you know again you're looking for again that connection texturally to meat in this case right because this is a very very savory dish uh and you know uh i might have done as in, or maybe someone did like a a fruit sashimi where you're like oh the flesh of a mango right. is very similar to the flesh of tuna so that's what i'm going for here where where fruits mimicking protein so you know that braised sort of meaty texture of the plum in this case that's you know soaked up all of that savory sauce that that's w what i think he means by this is the protein this is the the textural component that's gotcha. uh, re replacing a protein did you did you like that dish 
I, I have not seen the edit, but I, it was not, I, I struggled with that dish. Like I, if you're saying yeah. that I said it was, if, if I said it was weird, it's because this was one of those moments, like I talked about in the open where I'm sitting there really trying to convince all of my friends and, 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 and everyone that like, no, this dish is weird. It's fruit gravy guys. <laughs> like, and, and, and I'm I the weird that up. I, Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I am, you know, definitely someone who's, you know, a creative and like, it was a little weird to me. Was it inspiring? and successful yes and and but i would probably you know wasn't my favorite dish of the night me personally which is a big part of this panel now because whatever four people you get up there at the end those four people their 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 opinions obviously are a little bit more important than the the, the six other people who are not at judges table um and then we have that whole dinner to sort of convince our friends that like no that, that that's weird it was delicious and, and inspiring um but yeah for me fruit gravy still a little weird yeah. Um, the, the dish you seem to like, and I was very disappointed, not just because she's on my fantasy team and a recent acquisition. Dawn had the caramelized apple risotto with apple glazed duck. Um, you were absolutely floored by the apple olive oil puree. It did not make the top three, which I thought was really curious because based on the edit, um, your effusive praise, I mean, she's just been cooking her ass off. It looked fantastic. Um, she pulled off risotto, which should get you some sort of additional bonus in this damn show um but that was a dish especially because the there were it was yeah. it was multiple risottos right if i remember there yes. was avashar okay. avashar did a, a poor uh ohio zoto what was it kevin sushi rice ohio oto um which was just a, a fail because of the bacon and the cheddar um it kind of it was risotto designed to be a burger um with sushi rice but <laughs> it was a failure <laughs> of conception a failure of execution but dawn's wasn't and i imagine you would have had her in the top three uh, so, sounds right. And then also there's, there's, there's a, uh, uh, you know, there, here's a stat for top chef when two competitors cook the same dish, you know, what does that, what does that do to, you know, like, so you really, yeah. then you're judging risotto, not just by mm. like, Oh, I've been to Italy once and I've had this amazing risotto from this amazing Italian chef. Now you're literally judging the risotto, uh, versus another competitor. So I think that, that well, changes it a lot. And then the, the puree, her, her olive oil, uh, the apple puree, I'd never yeah. seen it before. So like anytime like you truly see something you've never seen before, that's that's pretty special because we've eaten and cooked lots of food. Yeah. Speaking of two guys cooking the same thing, one ending up on the top, one ending up on the bottom, Chris comes with his seared scallop with peach butter, smoked and seared plums, pickled apples, grapes, which prompts you to say, is this the same Chris? On the other end, Nelson's doing seared scallops. He with an apple bernays, an apple shallot relish, um, apparently just a ton of rosemary. Uh, and, and sauteed pear. So there was a classic example because I find that seared scallop on this show is a great hack. Um, and someone who can, like, by the way, like someone who can do a great seared scallop because you know what, like doing a great seared scallop isn't entirely difficult, but it does force you then to kind of the accompaniments do become just an enormous uh, factor. But like that, that was a case where two guys did the same thing. One was really good. One was really bad. I mean, are we just are also, I mean, I know it's cliche at this point, but are we surprised that they're cooking risotto and scallops on Top Chef? Yes. Like these are two I of know. the most class dishes that you know are trouble. Um, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's, it's, it's not hard to cook a good scallop. When you don't, it's really obvious, right? So yes. I think that's what happened with Nelson's dish. And Chris's dish, again, I, you're mentioning it. I haven't seen the episode, but I, I, I remember it exactly. And it's, it's also... It was that good that I can remember that moment and that dish, and it, it had very 
it had like Michelin restaurant vibes and like Thomas Keller vibes. And it was like small and compact and concise. And uh, it was something that, you know, until that moment, I hadn't seen Chris uh, produce that, that level of food. You know, I, I wanted to bust out the stats because we're talking about risotto and you know it, like it's a risotto, <laughs> the risotto curse, right? Um, Topchefs.com, topchefstats.com, Lynn says there's seven eliminations for risotto on Top Chef, which is a little on the lower side than I, than I thought it would be. Um, the last two to do it, Bruce Coleman and Joe Flam, both got eliminated for a risotto uh, in Top Chef Colorado. I think Joe Flam did like a cauliflower risotto, which was interesting. Uh, John from Top Chef Seattle also got eliminated from for for doing a risotto. Why do they keep doing it, Richard? Is it because like it, for some reason it's just like in these competitions, risotto just like flies to your brain and you can't you can't quit it. Uh, I mean, I, I think sometimes like you see it, you grab it and you go, it's sort of that commitment that I talked about. Like you just, you know, you, you don't know what you're going to do. Oh, I'm going to grab a bag of carnaroli rice and you never know. Right. But what I'm surprised about, like they should, if I was going to compete in season 19 or whatever's next, first of all, I'm going to this website that you're mentioning and I'm looking at all these stats. I'm watching <laughs> every episode. I'm watching every episode of the show to, you know, to see, Oh, they're always at whole foods. I'm going to map out a whole foods. I'm just surprised that like, there is pregame. There is like a preseason when you get the call to be on the show. So uh, it's more just They're shocking. Big stakes than, here. Big stakes on, yeah, on the line. Yeah, Come on. Your whole career, basically, right? So, yes. Um, Top Chef Stats is, is, is going to, you're going to lose two hours of your life. Um, it, it, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, Byron did pasta, was really concerned for him. I mean, A, because that, that stuff's flapping in the wind. Um, I think pasta. It's a little bit of an extension of risotto. I think there are chefs who who can absolutely crush pasta on the show. It does seem to me uh, it, it, it is it is self generated trouble often. Um, and he kind of pulled it off. What was characterized as a deconstructed cheese plate pasta, which is is bizarro to me because um, I don't also don't associate blue cheese with with pasta very often. Not, neither do I. And again, I, I remember this dish pretty vividly and the conversation that ensued because of the fact that like you don't see blue cheese in pasta dishes. I think there might have been red wine in it too, right? Like if yeah. I remember or – Yeah, um, you know um, – Yeah, reduction. I mean he made pasta. Like it's one of those things. Like you just – you pull it off and like you know you hope for a high middle, right? I think the issue with pasta is like do you, are you ever doing anything that's like, wow, this is going to be like a winning dish, Right. But making pasta outside, I think he made his own uh, dough. I'm sure he did because it was a, a stuffed pasta. Um, that's impressive. So, like, you know, the, the technical skill is is there, especially when you're outside. Richard, I want to know. It, you you talk a lot about convincing others at the judges to, or at the table. Are you when you're pre gaming, getting ready for the game, getting your warm ups on for the show? Are you thinking I got to make a comment that is going to make the edit? Or are you thinking, I want to build consensus at the table and win them over? Yeah, no, this is, so this is, uh, you know, everyone's different. You know, obviously I'm a nerd and I, and I do like to prepare for things and you guys are writers and I, um, you're, you're never like loading up uh, a line, right? Like you're never like, Hey, I know I'm going to say this in this episode, but if you're smart, you know, that eventually something's going to need salt. Eventually something's going to need acidity, right? Like, Something's going to be messy on the plate or whatever. And, you know, you, you are certainly thinking about different ways to say that this thing needs salt, this thing needs acidity. Uh, and then you're just, it's just improv and you're in the moment. And I'm, I'm never trying to win 
someone over. But in a, in a table like that now, as and especially as all of my all of the uh, other alumni judges get more familiar with uh, you know being on set, you have twelve people talking about food, and as you know, you're not going to make the cut if you say the same thing the last eight people said. So yeah. as people are and you and you literally going down the line. So if you're the twelfth person to talk. You're like, oh, well, okay, well, Dale said it needed salt, so I can't say that. This person said this. This person said that. And you know, as you know, you never can be like, I just want to echo what that person says because that will never make <laughs> – Right, you exactly. Know, like, so uh, so you, it's, it's tough. It is tough when you have 15 people talking but, about the food. But it can generate some real hot take culture, right? Because invariably, if everyone has said everything, you have to come in with – Wow, this tasted—you know—this tasted like it came out of a cat's rectum, or, or whatever it is. Like you have to kind of edge lord it a little bit, and that's yeah, dangerous. Yeah, and like uh, it, that is dangerous. And, and luckily enough, I've judged—you know—many different shows, and I've been around those types of judges. And like it just that—that that, yeah. it doesn't work because you know eventually right. I think the the viewer gets that okay, this is you're just taking the other side of this always. But any good judge, you do, you know, I mean, uh, for, for anyone who wants the behind the scenes, like you want to be able to talk about the goods and the bads of every single, you know, here's something positive, here's something negative about this dish, um, you know, and hopefully every dish has at least something that's positive. Um, but so Gabriel did something I thought that was really risky because I'm, I'm watching, you know, if you recall, Gabriel had the trio of oysters, one peach, one green I apple, do. one plum. Yeah. So A, I'm thinking it's a hot day. How many times have we freaking seen that someone who tries to serve chilled seafood on a hot day outside? This is madness. And then it's sort of like he gave us, I can almost imagine the Tom Colicchio, he gives three oysters. Three oysters. You know, like like everyone else is 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 preparing sort of set pieces, and um, and yet he pulled it off. And you guys love that dish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. And again, I I, I can I remember it like it was yesterday, and <laughs> delicious. I would have went. I probably would have ended up doing a crudo myself. Uh, so I thought that was smart. It's always challenging. There's another stat to figure out, like when someone does a duo or trio. You know, yeah. my sort of my banked judge line is always you gave us two more things to critique instead of just one, yeah. you know. Um, so I think that can be challenging. But I thought that was smart and a great way to use fruits in the mignonette and the toppings for this oysters. I like the dish a lot. All right, Kiki. Yeah, Kiki, Kiki, yeah. she didn't cook her chicken and you're cutting that thing open. And what do you see, Richard? <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, this, you know, you, you see the translucent chicken and you put it on your fork and you kind of hold it up in front of you. So, you know, that a camera can come over there and grab it. And, <laughs> you know, uh, you're, you're thinking, why in the world didn't you just cook two extra pieces of chicken? Cause here's what you do. You cook more than you need on the show and you cut everything open and you eat one thing that you've made so that you can see, okay, look, these, ch- the chicken's cooked. Cause I, You'll see a lot of sliced meat on Top Chef because that way you can slice it and see the temperature of the meat so that you're not just like in, you know, you don't know what the judges are going to get. So I was surprised that like she just didn't, you know, put herself in that's, you know, where she tested it before she sent it out. And, you know, one of those things, you know, I think I probably said, or if it didn't make the cut, like, you know, you get raw chicken in a restaurant, you send it back. It's not like I didn't like it. It's like you return it to the kitchen. And if you get a dish sent back to the kitchen on Top Chef, you know, that's trouble. Of course, except me, Tom. Uh, Richard, I have yeah. this thing, which is I love really undercooked chicken, like chicken shishi. <laughs> I'm serious. I eat it at my counter. I can, I confess. 
I just think everything else is good tartar. So is chicken. It just happens to be, you know, a death defying experience. But other than that, like I actually, I really love undercooked chicken. I'm just going to be straight about it. I listen, I respect, respect. See, like we got to get you on the judges table. <laughs> I, I'm the one I, I would not have sent her home. Um, but yeah, that's an infrastructural one. Richard, what are you thinking? Like one little outdoor fryer. Like to me, I'm just sort of, and you had said it, right? Like the competition almost begged for someone to do a good smoked protein with like a, a smoked chicken with or a grilled chicken with a barbecue sauce based with, you know, stone fruits, right? Like that's such a no brainer. And that's, that, that was one of the head shakers to me is I don't understand chefs who don't just kind of look at the infrastructure of the challenge and say, all right, the following methods are off the table, literally because I'm not going to get anything on the table. Yeah. I mean, I was, uh, I was surprised that not, you know, uh, too many chefs took advantage of the, you know, the, of the wood burning grill that was out there, the charcoal grill for sure. Um, and, and took a little bit more, you know, inspiration from the moment, whether it was, you know, using the leaves and branches and, you know, uh, even presentation wise. So yeah, I think some, some of that was, uh, left out. Like you have to be inspired by the actual moment, by the tools and the ingredients and, uh, uh, you know, the equipment that's around you. So some of that was lacking for sure. Although then again, there's, there's also this thing where how many times have we seen chefs get screwed by a grill that doesn't fire the right way or is uneven and it's not their grill. I mean, I guess, you know, hindsight sensitivity, but I, I just like grills are also one of those things that have just doomed many chefs. Hey, Richard, thank you so much for joining us here. And uh, we're going to get you back on. It's going to be way less than two years. Yes, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for uh, having me back. I'm a, a big fan. So I can't wait to uh, listen to the rest of this episode and everyone uh, here thereafter. You got it. Bye, guys. That was Richard Blaze. Tom always, always a thrill having Richard on. He sort of, uh, he gets the show. He gets the show, Tom. Yeah. And uh, I love that he's a numbers guy. I didn't know this about him. I don't know why, but I kind of think that there's like two sides of your brain as a chef and as an artist like himself and as the personality. I just didn't see him as being kind of the empirical type. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, he, he's, he's a lot of fun to sort of game this out with because there are clearly there's the show within the show, which is the judges are actually some of the guest judges are competing amongst each other for sort of airtime. Um and there's just there, there's there's a true there's so many different layers to an episode of Top Chef, right? Like there's this entire thing going on in the kitchen, the dynamic at the judges table, like the producers. You and I have seen it on Restaurant Wars. So it's just always cool to get Richard's perspective. And of course, there's the competition. And this was a really interesting episode uh, in terms of exposing strengths and weaknesses. What were your what were your biggest takeaways from sort of the standings? Yeah, I I was surprised that, you know, Kiki went home. I was thinking that, look, she has been a mess all year or all season. Um, she hasn't really figured out what she wants to do. She, it, opening up this episode, she said, I'm getting inside my own head. Um, and it just, it seemed like she was not built for top chef competition and who knows, maybe this is, um, she's going to make a run here in last chance kitchen. But what I'm seeing is someone who is an excellent, superb chef, uh, executive chef back home outside of the competition, but just wasn't really cut out for, for a top chef. It just, 
it, it seemed like she was all over the place. And I traded her not because of that last week to you uh, a couple of weeks ago, but um, seeing her get eliminated for the the raw chicken, I was debating whether Avishar with the risotto, the risotto cor- uh, curse would would strike again and he'd go home or Nelson with the the heavy, cheesy uh, sauce with the uh, with the scallop. Um, I, I thought any of those three would have gone home, but it was interesting to see that uh, even though she had a couple good elements on the plate, Kiki goes home for, for serving raw chicken, which of course you would have thought was, it was a, was a, a, f- a feature, not a bug. Right. No. And, and, and actually I had the exact same experience watching it with you, which is seeing, uh, watching it uh, as you did, because seeing those three contestants up at the, I actually thought it was going to be Avishar, right. On, on the, in the spirit of, he didn't actually highlight the fruit. Right. Like the whole point of we're we are plopping you down in an orchard like there are like swarms of bees and and ladders to pick apples. And and you give us a burger risotto, um, a bacon cheddar risotto Um, like like this is not a a northern Italian challenge. This is not a bacon cheddar challenge. Um, The apples merely barely detectable it was a failure of execution a failure of conception like to me that was sort of the biggest fail but it goes back to the hey if you screw your protein like raw meat is kind of one of those things where it's beyond just getting it hammered or or uh or or slightly off or my my lamb was very blue this was it was raw and raw chicken i am the only person on the known universe who actually likes raw chicken kiki can make me raw raw fried chicken is delicious um but yeah, and then I was like Nelson, like hearing Padma's just absolute scorn for that dish. I could not eat that scallop dish. Like, like there's a certain kind of just disgust that Padma can articulate with absolute like no modulation whatsoever that is as damning and as soul crushing as anything. And that is what she did to Nelson. So there was this moment where I was certain it was Avishar. And then I heard Padma. I'm like, oh, no, no, Nelson's going home. Like Padma gave it the like just the commentary of death. Someone who didn't get in the bottom three, but did not have a good showing and made me feel better about trading down from the number one pick. Shoda. Didn't have a great episode here, Kevin. Was there a changing of the guard here with Shota taking a little bit yeah. of a stumble here in this episode? Both the quick fire and in the in the elimination challenge didn't really place in the uh, in the top half of the competition. And I, I don't know if this was something that worried you, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, this does worry me in the sense that I just honestly can't recall a contestant in recent years, the possible exception of Gregory where I just felt like this is an autopilot contestant. There's not going to be a technical fail, right? There's not like, yeah, he'll, he'll in the middle, maybe certain challenges don't accentuate his strengths, but Hey, there is never anything other than a middle upper middle finish for this guy. But like Chawamushi not having that set. And that's one of those like, dishes it's a very flannish kind of texture mm-hmm. and our neighborhood place we love tsubaki does one and i really like it but it's sort of like because there aren't a lot of spices like you have to nail the texture it is a mess like like i am convinced he would have gone home had the quick fire been a challenge um or an elimination challenge and that really just sort of surprised me it was like okay it's a time thing and then to come up with one and there's nothing worse than sort of bland dry cold salmon 
<laughs> like, you know, like you've, we've had it like at a brunch or something. And it's just like, I was really disappointed because I've had him as an autopilot contestant. I'm not going to have to worry. And he was just kind of not there this week. It was really disappointing. And like looking at next to your top pick, Gabe, it's like, wait, I traded up to pass over Gabe. I don't know, man. Like Gabe's looking kind of certainly equal footing, you know, if I, not better. I was so excited to hear that um, Richard didn't like Gabe's dish because I picked up on it when he said it just seemed weird to mm-hmm. me. And then Tom said something like, yeah, I hear what we need more fruit and gravy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was, it was a counter to what Richard was saying. And I could tell that Richard was like, I, I'm not so big on that dish. Whereas Amar, He's just licking the plate and Gabe Gabe wins. And what it drives home for me is that just because you win a competition does not mean it's unanimous. I, I It's just something that I always just kind of assumed is that the winner of the, the challenge is someone where every judge or everyone who ate that dish was just like, that was the best dish. But it is interesting to see, you know, Gabe doing this, this plum with the chicken and pork jus um, – it didn't wow everybody, but still, I think it was inventive enough is to create like the plum being the protein and not the other way around. I thought that was really creative. And this is the Gabe that I was expecting was um, just I think there might be a turn here. I predicted it last week. I thought maybe we'd see Gabe start to take off and he comes in with a top three finish on the quick fire. And then the 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 winning this episode, I really feel good about it. And in this in our fantasy league. Um, he has the most points right now. He has 19 points in our fantasy league, then Shota at 18. And then we have um, we have Avashar at 15. So he wins with, with Shota in their episode two and then finishes in the top uh, last week. So I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm feeling better about my team after this week because I had, you know, of course, Nelson was in the bottom three, but Gabriel finished in the top three with his with his. Uh, oysters and then Jamie Byron and Maria middle Maria once again finishes in the middle um, Maria in the middle <laughs> Maria in the middle uh, in and she you know she's just coasting right now she's in the middle uh, there with Byron and my weekly score I had 22 points this week and you finished with 10 so the gap is closing you're still out in front at 61 points to my 58 this season um, are you willing to say that if you were power ranking the order or if you were to redo a draft here Kevin that you would have showed a number one, or do you think Gabe moves into the number one spot for you? No, I still have showed a number one. I think his ceiling is a bit higher. Like, I think he just does stuff that is just completely just overwhelms with its originality, a judge. Um, but yeah, I, I think the gap is much, much more narrow. Um, a contestant that it's funny because I had him ranked fairly low and you picked him fairly high was Nelson. I haven't seen one dish I couldn't live without. I have not seen – I don't understand. Like I see a lot of the same stuff. I see when whenever he tries to veer away from that, I see a chef who just – you can't execute it. Um, I really like the guy, but has he cooked one thing that's been remotely interesting? No, uh, not not doing well so far. And I actually thought, Kevin, that when they did the little vignette, the little the little segment about him and Oakland, I was like, oh, he's going home today. And that kind of in, that also uh, informed my feelings at the end when they were on the chopping block. I thought Nelson was going home because we caught we got a little bit of more of his story in the first couple blocks of the show. Tom, 
Last Chance Kitchen is back in full force. Going to be a really interesting loser's bracket, I, I think, this season. And, you know, we have Brittany versus Sasha as the leadoff uh, undercard. And what did you see in the competition? Do either of these chefs have some staying power? Oh, Sasha definitely does. She wins Last Chance Kitchen um, in this episode going against Brittany. Brittany does a, a chowder with crab and cod with uh, corn and the cob. Um, and then you see Sasha doing a chicken cacciatore with some uh, Calabrian chilies, which – I just think of Dante Calabria, who played for uh, for UNC back in the day. Anyway, she does this mushroom chicken cacciatore, which Kwame says was the best thing he's tasted all season. And Sasha goes goes uh, in, into the competition and wins uh, and, and survives. And Kevin, I got to say something about Sasha here. She is not just a great chef for a top chef. She's also really good at TV. She's funny. She's get, she's got wit to her. When Tom says something to try to dig at her, she bounces back, and she's just she's really good at Top Chef. And I'm I'm kind of bummed out that she's she's down here in uh, in Last Chance Kitchen. But I'm really excited to see what she does. I think you know going against Kiki, I think Sasha has a lot of staying power, not just because of her her chef's chops, but also she's just she's figured this out. Um, so yeah, Sasha continues. She um, she moves on in Last Chance Kitchen. You're very happy about that because she's on your team. Uh, Brittany is eliminated, and you know, credentialists. I'm sorry, but you you, you look at the two beer two James Beard Award nominees from uh, from Brittany. She's going home from the competition, and uh, it, it didn't work out for her on Top Chef. But yeah, Last Chance Kitchen still a great great episode here. Um, and Brittany just saying, uh, it's the kiss of death. She says, I overthink things too much on this show. And it goes to show she goes home. Uh, last chance kitchen Kiki versus Sasha will recap next week, but Kevin, uh, a really good episode of top chef. Um, it was great to talk to Richard blaze and I'm really excited to see whether Gabe or Shoda separates themselves from the pack going forward. No, the field is getting more, not less interesting. I'm also very excited about Chris, a top finish. I've always sensed he was the best chef not doing good work in the early going. He clearly has some techniques, some skill. I mean, you heard Richard Blaze. Um, there were some Thomas Keller notes there. I'm telling you, man, he's my dark horse right now. He is a guy who's going to stick around and is going to be a force before it's all over. Um, this is my sort of uh, dark horse pick of the week. Tom, final cl- closing thoughts. Yeah, I'm just thinking about my mom's stroganoff. I don't know about you. Like, what is what is the Campbell's soup dish that that you're you're thinking about? The Campbell's soup. You know what? I still love my sort of cream of mushroom green bean casserole with those mm-hmm. fried onions on top. That is such an American classic, and it never gets old. Um, I, I I I will always reach for that at a uh, at, at a picnic. Awesome, Tom. We'll talk next week. For Tom Haberstroh, this is Kevin Arnovitz, and this is Pack Your Knives. Pack Your Knives.